Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Are you a dog person? Is the dog nearby, perhaps sitting on your lap or at your feet right now? If so, this will be of particular interest to you. A biotech company in San Francisco has come up with a new drug that could increase the lifespan of said beloved dog. We asked dog owners in a Toronto park how they would feel about keeping their pups around a little bit longer. Now, this is Kobe, going to turn three years old. He's very friendly. He's a golden doodle. Yeah, honestly, Kobe is like a ray of sunshine in my, throughout my day. I mean, I would definitely look into the research and see what's the success rate like. Then I will definitely consider it, but I'll also look into the side effects just to make sure that, you know, I'm not impacting him just for the sake of adding a year to his life. I would do anything to make sure that he lives as long as he can. My name's Nancy and his is Apollo. He's a Border Collie Australian Shepherd mix. It would depend how much it costed just because life is very expensive downtown Toronto, um, but I would love to extend his life. I love him. And I know bigger dogs don't really have that long of a lifespan, so it'd be cool to have him around for longer. And he's my little son. <laughs> my name is Booba, and my dog's name is R2-D2. He saved me. Uh, he literally brought me out of a depression. I would definitely give my dog the medication in a heartbeat. To have an extended time with him would mean the world to me. I wouldn't know what I would do without him. Louis, a three and a half years, golden retriever. Oh, oh yeah, for sure, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's my baby. <laughs> Want him not live as long as possible, right? <laughs> my name's Amara, and my dog's name is Mango. He's a papillon. Well, I guess it would all depend on sort of how, what kind of condition he was in in his old age. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want him to be suffering and decrepit, but living. But if he was still doing well and enjoying himself, then I suppose it would, it would be wonderful. Just some sounds of some dog owners and the dogs talking about this drug that perhaps could extend the dog's life. This drug isn't on the market yet, but it's already fetching. See what we did there? Some strong opinions. Jeff Wood is an associate professor in the Department of Pathobiology in the Ontario Veterinary College at the University of Guelph. Jeff, good morning. Uh, good morning, Matt. As you understand it, how does this drug actually work? Well, there's an, uh, there's a back in about 2007, um, after the dog genome was sequenced, there was some work on looking at large and small breed dogs. And there was a particular gene that was uh, found in almost all small breed dogs and, and very rarely in large brain dogs. And it has to do with a growth factor called insulin-like growth factor 1 or IGF-1. So the idea is that this, this drug would lower the levels of IGF-1 in large breed dogs, and that might help extend their life. It's like an anti-aging drug in some ways. Yeah, that's, it's really the first anti-aging drug, drug that the uh, FDA has ever um, really considered uh, in a trial, which is interesting, even though it's in dogs and not people. What do you make of it? We'll talk about specifics, but broadly, what do you make of this idea? Um, I think the the idea is, is sort of generally generally sound. There's a 
It's very complicated. It's not really just one gene. Uh, we know there's a lot of other genes that impact body size and lifespan in dogs and also in people. And there's kind of a, you know, the studies are, are a little bit um, difficult to interpret because insulin-like growth factor isn't the only thing working. There's also binding factors. There's other growth factors that, that interact with it. <clears throat> but uh, in, in general, we find like very old people, like people who are over 100, tend to have, and live that long, tend to have lower levels of IGF-1 in their blood. Mm. Um, but people with very low levels um, also also do have increased risk of some diseases. So there's a, there's a little bit of a trade-off that we don't really understand. And again, this is treatment aimed at dogs over 40 pounds, right? Yeah, they tend to have a shorter lifespan in general, uh, large and giant breed versus the, the medium to smaller breeds, yes. The biotech company that's working on this drug, it's called Loyal, says that breeding techniques are creating a genetic error that has shortened the lives of bigger dogs. Is that what's going on here? Yeah, probably. We, uh, we've messed around with dog breeds for a few hundred years, and we've got this massive range of, of different appearances and behaviors and, of course, sizes. And, and of all the um, mammals, the dog has the greatest variation in body size in the same species. So it's certainly our, our doing. We've, we've, we're the ones that, that messed this up, yeah. If we were to be able to give a drug to a dog that would extend their life by a year, what do we know about whether this would actually give those dogs a good quality of life along with a longer life? Yeah, that's really the, the key uh, question here, Matt, I think, is that, you know, there's a lifespan, but there's also a health span. Yeah. Is, is the extra time you're going to have, is that um, quality time uh, for the dog or not? And what's your sense of that? Um, I think, you know, we're, we're, there's, a, of course, a wide variety of different diseases that, that affect dogs. And, and in older age, cancer is one of the, the major ones. And there is, um, there's certainly this kind of growth factor signaling pathway is important in some cancers. And it, so it may delay those. Um, it's possible to delay some cardiovascular disease as well. And so the, the rapid decline that you might see at the, at the end is, is probably, you know, if you got to go, um, good to be healthy and then have a rapid decline, then a very, um, you know, sort of protracted poor quality of life. So it's possible. I think the, the thing is there hasn't really been a, a good clinical trial of this drug yet. It's just had conditional approval. There's been some speculation, even at this early stage, that if, that if this works, you, if you can expand uh, the lives of dogs with a treatment, that, that this might actually work for humans as well. What do you think of that? I, I think that's, that is really exciting. Um, this could potentially, this kind of work, I think, has a, a potential for a win-win where um, you know, we're, we're studying the disease in dogs for the dog's sake or the aging process uh, for the dog's sake. But a lot of these, um, these kinds of studies probably apply to humans and likely better than the other models we use, like flies and worms and mice. Dogs are much more closely related to humans genetically, but also they're sharing the same environment, right? They're drinking our water. They are uh, probably eating our food quite a bit, maybe sleeping in your bed. Um, so they, they're very, uh, close genetically, but also close in, in the environment that we share. 
And there's quite a lot of, of work on this. There's an, there's an aging study in the, in the States and dogs to, mm. to follow these along. There's a, a lar- very large golden retriever lifetime study. Um, it's following 3,000 golden retrievers uh, throughout their whole life and collecting blood samples when they come in for their annual uh, physical and, and vaccinations. Um, and we have here at Guelph, we have two institutes that, that really leverage this in this comparative approach across human and dogs. We have a, a cancer institute, an institute for comparative cancer investigation, <clears throat> and a new institute for translational health research. And this really, you know, looks at at both species and tries to compare across those. Can we can we leverage similarities and differences and, and try and make some some uh, discoveries that way? Just before I let you go, um, you have a dog. Yes. It seems like an obvious question when I'm asking somebody from the Ontario Veterinary College whether they have a dog, but you have a dog. Um, what's the, tell us about your dog. Yeah, he's a, he's a young, flat-coated retriever, Welly. He's, he's three years old, and um, he is very goofy, and he's a lot of fun, and he makes me exercise, and that's good. Um, would, you, would, you give, yeah, would you give Welly this drug? Yeah, that's, that is an interesting uh, question, I guess. Right now, um, there isn't a lot of data, so I would, I would definitely wait for that. They're doing, this company is doing a larger trial with um, several hundred dogs over mm. time, and that I think finding out from that, they, you know, they've given it to healthy dogs, but um, not necessarily old dogs that have potential other diseases uh, developing. So I think I would probably wait for that data first. Jeff, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome, Matt. Jeff Wood, an associate professor in the Department of Pathobiology at the Ontario Veterinary College at the University of Guelph. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. The decision, and this is about extending the life of a dog, but at some point in time, the dog is going to die. And the decision to end the life of your dog is a really, really tough one. Natasha Tut is a registered social worker with pet owners uh, during and after the loss of their animal. She's also with the organization Ontario Pet Loss, and she's with me in studio now. Good morning. Hi, Matt. There's this cliche that when you adopt a dog, you're adopting future heartbreak in some ways because you know what's going to happen down the road. You kind of put it out of your mind, but you know it's going to happen. What do you think about this idea of a drug that would extend the life of a dog? Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was really kind of happy to hear, and it didn't surprise me to hear a lot of the dog owners that we heard at the beginning of the segment talking about um, referring to their dogs as their babies because we have brought animals into our life to um, in a way that is really family-oriented. Um, but also hearing people say that's going to depend. That's going to depend on, number one, fi- like finances, not even number one, but one of the things is finances. It's expensive. It's very, it could be expensive. I don't know what it costs, no, expensive right? But to just keep, life to, yeah, is yeah, expensive yeah. right now. And when we're, um, oftentimes folks are faced with putting food on the table, um, and veterinary expenses can be very, very challenging for folks. Um, and so, yeah, finances would be obviously something that people are considering, but also um, quality of life. I was really glad to hear people talk about quality of life and, and Jeff at OVC also talking about quality of life and what that means, what that looks like um, in relation to extending a dog's life. You have dogs? 
I do have two dogs, yeah. You want to tell us about them quickly? Quickly. Um, they are, yeah, absolutely the loves of my life. I I, um, I have a 16-and-a-half-year-old dog, Delilah, mm-hmm. um, who, yeah, came to me when she was a puppy. She's wonderful. But, yeah, when I think about um, extending her life, there are a lot of ethical decisions in that. And then I also have an 11-year-old or somewhere around 11-year-old uh, rescue, Margot, who's also absolutely precious and wonderful. I mean, this idea of health span versus lifespan is a real dilemma for people. Mm-hmm. This, 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 You prolong life in some ways, the belief is because it's more about the owner than the dog. How difficult is that to navigate? Um, I think for, for pet owners, that's incredibly difficult. And that's a lot of the conversations that I engage in when I'm, when I'm in session with folks, whether that's, uh, after their pet has died or before. Um, but really a lot of folks are really navigating through that decision when they're making the decision around euthanasia is, uh, what is too much and what am I do? What am I doing for myself? And what is the quality of life for my animal? So what do you hear from people about about how they know when it's time. This is part of what you have to do. If you are your responsibility as somebody who is caring for this animal is to care for it throughout its life, but also know, as you said, when it's too much. Mm-hmm. So, what do you hear from people about that? About when when the best time is to let go? Um, well, it's interesting. There there are a lot of we hear a lot in in our society. You'll know when it's time, right? People will uh, when we're going to maybe our f- friends or families. People people will say you'll know when it's time, and I think that's a really hard thing for people to navigate yeah. because we don't always know, um, and it looks different for everyone. And so, people um, conversations that I'm often having with folks is around um, what what you want end of life to look like for your dog, how well you want your your animal companion to be at the end of their life. Um, And so making that decision involves, you know, going through a bit of a quality of life assessment and thinking about, which can be hard when, when there's been a decline for a very long time, but what are things that they generally enjoy in their life, even if that's shifted over time? Um, Are they still demonstrating some joy or pleasure in life? Um, are they, um, are they eating? Are they, um, are they still engaging with you in a way that feels good for, for you and for them as much as you can gauge that? Um, and then also for some folks, it, it involves really thinking through your own, um, uh, your own ethics and morals and, and spiritual beliefs around end of life. And whether it is your place, some people really have a hard time making that decision. And so we'll choose to um, allow their animals to die naturally, which which can be really challenging for them to watch. And also in terms of um, takes a lot of privilege, I think, to be able to sometimes take time off work mm. and away from work to do that. I mean, again, given how difficult this is, what do you hear from people in terms of the biggest regrets that they would have after the dog has been put down? And part of this yeah. is about timing in some ways, right? Did I yeah. what, did I move too soon? Did I wait too long? What have you? Exactly. So I hear a lot um, of people struggling. Really, I, I would say that shifts and changes for people. I see a trend where at the very beginning, when some when when someone that they love, an animal that they love, passes, originally folks are often really worried that they didn't do enough. And so then I worry about a medication like this and people turning to that and saying, oh, I didn't do that one last thing, um, which could, which they might've felt different about when their animal was alive. But then as time passes, I think, and and this can be different for different people, they're often worried, did I wait too long, mm. right? Did I, did I put this animal through, um, 
did I make a choice too late and and have them suffering um, in a way that that now when I look back on it, I don't feel as good about? Because the choice was hard for me. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to have to, I tried to put that out of my mind. I didn't want to have to make that decision. Yeah, honestly. And I think that's the responsibility of us as a society. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about even... Um, we don't talk about the fact that the people that we love, animals that we love are going to die. You, you mentioned that when um, when we get an animal, we know in the back of our head, there is that small part of us that knows that this animal is likely to die before we will, and we're going to have to go through that. Um, but it's not a general conversation that, that people are engaging with, with Be- their because families. Because the dog is fun. It's leaping it's around fun. and tearing up your house and eating your shoes or whatever. And, like so that. Why and you would, don't want to think about that. Yeah. Why would we want to think about, and, and realistically, we, we, we can't actually, um, I think, absorb what that impact is going to feel like beforehand. And it's really hard to think about. It's also tricky for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are parents having to try to explain this to your kids, what do you, how do you, I ask you this, this is part of your job. How do mm-hmm. you navigate that? What do you say to the parents and to the kids about what's happening? So one of the things that comes up a lot is, um, the wording to you, right? Like developmental capacity where your kids are at in their development, um, and the words that we choose to use. So, um, for very young children, oftentimes, and, and, on. I'll sort of gauge where parents are at, what they feel mm. their kids are able to to handle. And then um, if it feels relevant to to maybe gently challenge some of those or just offer other opportunities to to see our kids as having the capacity to be able to cope with these these really hard conversations and concepts around death. Just before I let you go, in the context of all of this that we've talked about, what should people be thinking about? They're going to hear about this drug. They're going to mm-hmm. think they're sitting next to their dog. Yeah. They're going to think, oh yeah, I can, what, what should they be thinking about quickly? I, 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 I really encourage people to think about, uh, and I think that people do, people love their pets tremendously. Uh, they will be thinking about, and I, I encourage them to continue to think about um, quality of life, what their dog's life is going to look like and making a decision from the perspective of um, love, which is where we make all of those decisions about our animals. What, what is in the best interest of um, my, my, my pet and my family as a whole. Natasha, thank you very much. Absolutely. Natasha Tutt is a registered social worker, runs a practice counseling animal lovers on the loss of their pets. Your thoughts on this welcome, dog lovers, but yes, cat people as well, you are welcome to be in touch. Uh, you can email us. Is this a drug that you would consider for your animal? Uh, the current at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.